Today, I get to speak with someone who is going to give you an incredible amount of practical advice from truly in the trenches. My guest today has a tremendous amount of experience in a wide range of nonprofits. She works for um, several different organizations, both professionally and in a volunteer capacity, serves on boards, and she has figured out how to practically access data and apply it in a very tactical way to advance the, the information that she needs to do her job. And she specializes not just in grants, but also in communication. So we get to hear how she is going to use data in her communications efforts, and especially with all of the changes that happened through the COVID shutdowns and, and just this upheaval that we've been going through. So I hope you find her conversation as enlightening as I did, and certainly stick around through the end because she gives such great insights in how to actually put data to use, even when you come from a fine arts background. Hello, and welcome to Heart, Soul, and Data, the podcast where we explore the human side of analytics to amplify the impact of nonprofits and social enterprises. With me, your host, Alexandra Mannering. Thank you so much for joining me today, Jessica. Do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, so a little bit about me. I'm a profound workaholic, a cat mom, and uh, addicted to supporting nonprofits, working with nonprofits. I consider nonprofit work also a hobby of mine, uh, which is kind of unique. And by day, I am a proposal manager at 10X Technologies, and by night, I support multiple nonprofit organizations such as the Association of the United States Army, Major General Harry Green, Aberdeen Chapter, uh, which I'll just call AUSA, and Association of Old Crows, also known as AOC, um, CIRA, Self-Injury Recovery Anonymous, and I also now support Night Owl Reconnaissance. That's an amazing array of work that you do here. So I'm very excited to be able to talk with you, not just because of your day job, but also because of your night job and your deep passion with nonprofits. And before we get started, because this was something I really liked, you have actually a master's in fine arts as your background. And oh, you, right? Yeah, it's actually a bachelor's. A bachelor's. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I love though that you, you come from a fine arts background and yet here we are going to talk about data. So I wanted you to share a little bit about this sort of idea that somehow arts and science can be at odds or that you can be like a numbers person or a words person and that those are somehow, you know, like left, right brain kind of thing. So what's your take on that? Yeah, so I, I had always thought, especially in college, that I was a pictures person. I always always described myself as a visual person. And when I try to explain stuff, I usually say, oh, I'm a visual person. Let me draw that for you. And then um, as I got out of college, I realized that, you know, you got to be a little bit of both. And it's hard to say, oh, well, I'm just a numbers person because you need to use pictures to explain those numbers to non-technical audiences, right? And so you need to be a words person to explain that information. So I think some people can lean more towards being a numbers person or a words person. But at the end of the day, you need to be able to work with both to get across whatever you're trying to communicate. Do you find that your arts training enhances some of the ways that you work with data? 
Yeah, I feel like having that art background, I'm able to break things out into pictures and to visualize it and put that data on a board and say, here's what I'm trying to explain. And it does make it easier to be more of a words person. But uh, it definitely took some time to work into being that numbers person, too. But it's a skill you could learn. It's not like you're... Oh, for sure. (laughs) I think sometimes people feel like you're born knowing this stuff and it's definitely not true. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, just like back to the arts concept. And I feel like this really translates well to our topic on data is that um, you can learn anything, really. So some people say, I'm not a good singer. I'm not good at drawing pictures. Well, if you just work at it, you can build that skill. So same thing goes with data. Yes. I agree completely. All right. So you, I'm excited, are here to talk about several different projects and lots of experience with data. I'd like to dive into one particular project that you did with AUSA. Um, So would you tell us a little bit about this project and how data really came to play in in this project? Yeah. So AUSA focuses on the Army and helping soldiers transition into industry, uh, career development, professional development, has a lot of great resources for their families, for veterans. So it's just it's just a well-rounded, awesome organization to be a part of. Uh, so thankful to be a part of the board. I think in January, around January 2021, I was approached and asked to hop on the board and help out with mostly social media and communications. And um, just that I, and I've been in the position before with social media communications on the board. And I often run into where there really isn't much of a foundation. You might have like a running Facebook account or an Instagram, but um, they're not really tracking the data. So the first thing I did was I sat down and I looked, who is our audience? What is the demographic? Um, how many of them are actually soldiers transitioning into industry? How many of them are women, men? Um, where, where did they come from? Are they in college? So it really helped to figure out what that foundation was so we can then decide with that data which direction we're gonna grow or where do we need to work. I love that here you get brought in to do a communication strategy and they're probably thinking when they bring you in that the first thing you're gonna talk about is like, okay, here's you know the posts that we're gonna do or here's the, yes. the images we need. Instead you said, uh-uh, we're starting with data. We have to see where we are before we can figure out where we're going. And that's a good thing you bring up because that that is often what happens is when you join these boards, um, they will say, okay, well, we have this event coming up. Let's put out a flyer or let's um, put out this email. That's great. But who's actually reading it right now? How do you know? You need the numbers. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of nonprofits also don't realize is that there's a lot of free resources to track that data too. So, um, you know, it just makes for more powerful communications. I also think it's funny we talked about being a visual person, you know, drawing a picture. And in some way you're using data to draw this picture. You need a picture of the audience that you have um, so that you can identify if it's the right audience and if it's not change that. But if it is the right audience, then like, how are you going to speak to that particular audience? Um, You mentioned a few free tools. Do you mind sharing any of your favorites? Yeah. So I'm not a salesperson, not being endorsed for this, but I would say my top go-to is Hootsuite or Agora Pulse. Um, they actually have discounts for nonprofits as well, but um, you can create free accounts usually to manage about three social media accounts, uh, like uh, I think the standard Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever. Um, there's also some other free platforms out there. I highly recommend doing your research. Uh, Facebook has been pretty awesome uh, about upgrading their platform. They now have a built-in scheduler that you can use. So there's a lot of things you can um 
reference out there that you can leverage to track that data where you stand without a budget. So it's nice. I, I have used Hootsuite before and I agree. Yes, Hootsuite is a, is a good tool. And it's nice to have a place, like you said, that brings things together rather than necessarily having to log in to each separate place. Yeah, and it's a, those tools are also great. And I, um, it's just for breaking things down into visual graphics again. So getting back to being more of a words person, you take those numbers and you turn them into pictures and then you can bring it to the board and say, okay, here's who's actually reading the newsletter. Mm -hmm. For us, when we took a step back to see how many people are reading our newsletter, it turns out maybe 4% were actually reading it. So we realized we've been putting all this effort into sending out this communication, but by looking at the data, we realized maybe not everybody's actually reading it. So it's really important that you take a moment to continually track that. And so you recognized newsletter wasn't you know, quite as impactful as maybe you had hoped. You'd identified your audience. What did you do next using that information? So the next step, I recommend a survey. So we sit back and say, okay, so maybe why not? So they get a lot of emails, not just from us, but from a national level. And some chapters have to compete with their communications. And then you know, reach out to national if that is a resource for you and communicate your struggles. So we discuss maybe we can reduce how many emails are being sent out, how frequently. Maybe we can change our approach. Um, who's actually reading these? Uh, I'd see more senior level um, executives, those who are further in their career actually reading the emails, whereas um, looking at the data, social media is where our millennials or young professionals are actually tracking our information. So maybe we need to leverage that more. So that, that was the next approach. And so when you said survey, do you mean actually like presenting a survey to some of your readers? Okay. And in yeah. that survey, you're going to ask questions like, what's your preferred method of communication? How often would you like to hear from us? Those sorts of things. Yeah. And then document that data and track right. it. And it can change. So I recommend doing that on a reoccurring basis. That's a good point, which is I think sometimes people are like, oh, we did that 10 years ago. Yeah, which, you know, might not apply to now, right? So you, gotta, you have to keep at it. That's the thing. And you have to create your database. You got to track that data. How does it change? I think with the pandemic, a lot of things have affected, well, I would say everything, but we've moved more into a digital environment and it's changed the way that people like to communicate and read those communications too. Did COVID change the kind of data that you needed or how you used it? Definitely. So moving into a more digital environment, it was new to all of us. We were all asking the same question. Now what? Uh, we were so used to in-person events and some nonprofits rely on those in-person events for fundraising and it's just our main source of recruitment in some ways. So we just took the information we had based on metrics, data, right tracking, who's actually attending our in-person events communicating with them, asking what are you interested in, or just being fearless and trying new things, whether it's a virtual trivia night or what have you, and then seeing who attends, tracking that, following up with a survey, getting feedback. Maybe we need to change the time. More people were stuck in traffic at five o'clock. Maybe it needs to be at seven. And those minor details can make a huge difference. You bring up such a great point that I think oftentimes is missed, which is people have this huge, now what? This world unknown. We have, we have no history to go off of. We don't have any data to go off of because we've never been in this position before. And you said, but we still have something we can do. We can try things and track the outcome. And I think those two things happening together um, didn't often occur, right? Either people would just throw spaghetti at the wall 
and then either go with what felt right or, you know, just go with the first thing they tried. Um, or people would track what was happening and go, well, this is, this isn't right. You know, we're the things we're seeing, we're, we're not connecting with enough people, et cetera, that the data are showing us that things are bad, but they didn't necessarily know then what to do. And they weren't willing to, like you said, fearlessly try new things and tweak it because when you are able to do that, you try the thing, you try it at five, you see how many people came, you try it at seven, you see how many people came and you can then pick which one is better. And even if it's not perfect, you're moving in a good direction where you're increasing engagement or increasing attendance or increasing donations, whatever it might be. All right, so with your projects, so you, you've identified your audience, you've identified what's being engaged with, you've surveyed your um, audience that's present, and said, how do you like to be reached out to? How do you want us to serve you? And then how are you bringing that together? What's the next step after that? Is to keep tracking the data. So just as we said earlier, if you do it once, cool. Okay, I set my foundation, but you need to keep tracking it. It's a, it's a task in itself. And I feel like often that communications role on the boards is seen as, well, you're just gonna post something on social media about the upcoming event, but you need to take the step further to actually see how effective is it, who is it reaching, and who's attending these events. And that's how you can continue to grow. Um, and if you're not continually tracking that information, you can stall that growth. And I've seen a successful example. I spoke with someone recently who's part of the um, Porsche Club of America, out of you know, which is a completely different mission than maybe AUSA, but they instilled the same things. They set the foundation. Who are we communicating with? Who's our membership? Um, she had noticed that there was an older crowd, maybe further in their career, who had these Porsches, who were showing up. They were more interested in the traditional builds, um, maybe just cars that were tampered with, per se. But the younger crowd was actually more interested in those that were you know, had things added to them that were different, that were newer, that were unique, not so antique, right? So she tracked that information and then she could retarget those events and build more interest in, the, in a younger crowd, right? So um, that slowly, I mean, talking social media and communications and events, it feeds into membership, which was the ultimate goal for a lot of us in our nonprofit organizations is to build that membership and then increase attendance at events. And then before you know it, that sparks interest with partnerships with local organizations who will fund us, build our fundraising efforts. So um, it's slow. Any success in a nonprofit is slow and you gotta be patient, but it does work. So you keep tracking that information and you keep adjusting based on that data. And eventually it builds into membership and it builds into funding and it just continues to spread your mission. So it does work, <laughs> just takes time. I really like that you brought up the ultimate goal, because I think sometimes it's easy to treat social media or your communications plan a bit as an end in itself, right? Oh, we just need to get people to see our Facebook post, or we just need to get people to, to visit us on Twitter or whatever it is. But like you said, the point of that engagement is actually to get donations or get membership or get whatever the, the, the meat of your nonprofit is. And that you can measure that too. You can see, you know, who's engaging with you and then you can see who ultimately attends your event or ultimately enrolls or whatever the case may be. And so you're wanting to make sure that you're aligning your social media, not just to the most views, 
but to actually meaningful engagement that gets you your goal. So if you get half as many views, but twice as many enrollments, that's a a better option than say the viral post that doesn't actually get any meaningful traction. Exactly. And you got to keep that in mind too. When you think about that social media role or communications role on your board, what is the ultimate goal of that? And that could apply to any role, really. The the concepts we're discussing is for for anything. Um, You know, we actually, we work with the TAP program on post that support soldiers transitioning into industry. And we go out and we might give them a survey and say, okay, what companies are you interested in working with? You know, what, what are your plans? Are you going to stay in the area? You take that information. How can we translate that into social media? How do we target them? Or how do we reach out to these organizations they're interested in working with? And you got to keep collecting that information. You've got to do your research. And how does that fill in, um, filter into our ultimate goal? Maybe building membership, reaching more active soldiers or those transitioning. So it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I think it's also important that that exactly what you're explaining, this communications role is not just about, can I write really well or can I make really pretty graphics? It's about constantly integrating the data that you're getting and the research that you're doing with then how you actually carry out your your, um, communications efforts, right? You have to bring them, as you said at the very beginning, constantly bring them together and inform each half with the other. Do you happen to have any numbers or metrics where you can show how you went from where you got brought in originally to this data-driven approach and now the kinds of engagement that you're getting? So speaking to AOC, so Association of Old Crows, I run their Young Ravens program. And one of the first issues that I ran into is, um, and first step is I created a survey and I sent it out and we haven't posted anything on Facebook in forever. And it's just, you know, we didn't have the volunteer support. And that tends to be a common struggle is that these positions are usually on a volunteer basis, right? So you needed the volunteers. I hopped on and I published the survey. I sent it out via email and I asked everyone to spread the word. And I said, you know, what uh, young professionals are interested in young Ravens or have you heard of us before? Have you been to an event? I got two responses. And it was um, both from more senior level uh, contacts who've been there, done it for a while, not young professionals, haven't really heard about it, have not really interested, and they didn't give me the data that I needed. So instead of focusing on young Ravens, took a step back further, and I worked on our social media, and I started manually inviting people who were in that demographic. You can use LinkedIn to set filters. Um, maybe it's in this area, maybe it's these colleges, and you, you use that information, make those invites, and then I send out the survey again, and I get more responses, mm-hmm. and so we built our following from nothing to a couple hundred followers, and then now I have more interest in our events, and hopefully that will patiently feed into <laughs> success with additional membership for Young Ravens, right. so um, slow and steady, but that I feel like is the most successful use case recently. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. And like you said, that you're able, even though your starting point is zero, that's your ground point and you can move forward. And I guess technically it was two, it wasn't zero. (laughs) (laughs) Two, yeah. You're you're able to to work that and you know where you're starting and you can benchmark your progress against that. And I think also it's easy to discount what seems like small growth because that's where we all have to start. And those numbers can tell us that we're actually moving in the right direction, which is far more imp- important, I think. 
So do you have any recommendations as, as we kind of wrap this up for organizations in how they're maybe approaching data both, well, let me back this up. Have you seen data used incorrectly before in these positions or with your organizations? Yeah, so I would say be skeptical, skeptical of what data you reference. Um, what data applies to one nonprofit might not apply to another. So back to the Porsche Club of America, right? Um, focusing on Instagram. Statistically, that's where the millennials are. And then if you look at Facebook, you get more into the baby boomer generation. Um, so you might target the hip new Porsches um, and events for younger professionals might be on Instagram, whereas their more traditional vintage Porsche events are focused on that or on Facebook, right? Mm -hmm. But for me, uh, focusing on young professionals in our industry, I've had the most success getting millennials interested via LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. So when I look at the information, they make suggestions, well, maybe you need to focus more on Instagram. Don't be fearless in trying out different things. I've refocused on LinkedIn. So um, what demographic might be somewhere, might be elsewhere. So you just got to be skeptical of what you're referencing. Um, and what, like I said, what applies to one nonprofit might not apply to another. Your different mission, different goals, different data. And I like that you can try it. You can say, well, like who is on Instagram? Who's responding there? Who is on LinkedIn? Who's responding there? And your data will tell you the kinds of interactions that you're getting. And then you, like you said, you can focus in on the places where you're seeing better results. Uh, and it might not be the same as other organizations out there. That's a really great point. So if someone listening, which I very much hope hears this and goes, oh, okay. I realized, yes, I could up my data game in communications. Do you have an action that they could take sort of near term? Because I think sometimes people will hear this and go, oh, this is going to take so much work. I have to like overhaul everything. But what would be a good first step that'll really get them started? My first step has always been when, when I step into this um, into social media and communications role on boards is to set up that free Hootsuite or Agora Pulse account or paid because there are discounts. So leverage the resources that are available to you. Number one, um, there are free resources and being a nonprofit, there's usually discounted resources and make the job more efficient too. You know, with that role, if you use a platform like that, you can cross post. So instead of manually logging into individual accounts and manually posting stuff, you can, you can save time, post on multiple accounts at once and then focus that time then on collecting data. So free up time so you can collect the information, figure out who your current audience is who's actually looking at your communications, who's following it, who's attending your events, reach out to other members on your board who maybe their role isn't in communications, maybe it's in recruitment, but the same thing, they're looking at the same data, they're trying to reach the same crowd. So, you know, I would, I would work with other people on your board as well. Um, so figure out that foundation and collaborate on how to build it. And signing up for Hootsuite or one of those platforms, that is a very easy thing, right? You log in, you create your free <laughs> yeah. login and you link your accounts. So you'll say, here's my Facebook account. Here's my Instagram account or whatever it is. And then it'll process all that data and will give you something to see. I mean, you could do this in 15 minutes if you want it. 
So that is a great place to start. And I love what you said about leveraging other people who are probably looking for the same answers, even if they're going to be applied in different ways. So that's a really great point of not just building efficiency through the tools that you're using, but building efficiency by sharing the data where it needs to go across all of the different roles or different positions. Yeah. And, you know, it seems like that data only applies, some might think that it only applies to social media and communications, but it's further than that, especially with the, when the pandemic hit, everything went digital. So that's how we are communicating, working and collaborating with our members and our audience. So when recruitment or the recruiting position looks at the data, they can go, oh, okay, this is actually what it looks like. Here's who registered on the website. And here's my roster of active members, but how many of them are actually interacting with us? How active are they actually? So this data can really apply beyond just social media and communications. Have you had uh, any, I don't know, great experiences or recommendations for sharing data like at the board level? I'm curious because I haven't actually had that kind of conversation with anybody about, you know, is there something special that you can do with boards or a different, different considerations you might have to have for sharing data with that audience than say, you know, your volunteers or the actual operations of the nonprofit. Yeah. So to take the focus away from, okay, you need to have a Hootsuite or a Pulse or a similar account. Right. Even if you were just using what's available on Facebook, you can see the metrics at a basic level unpaid and print that out, just print it out or make a pie chart using Word or what have you and bring it to the meeting, put it on the table and say, okay, here's actually who is being active digitally with us and who's interested in doing X, Y, or Z, or how many people sign up for our event, recruitment, what do you think about that? President, what do you think about that? Who else would be interested in looking at this information? And so I'm constantly having conversations with other, other members on our board and asking for their feedback on that. And it is it just really helps. So being transparent is important. I like also that you invite a conversation. So it's not just that you show up and you're like, data, peace out. (laughs) It's okay, here's just even one piece of our data. This is the proportion breakout for different demographics in our engagement. What do you think about that? Is this on target where we want to be? Is it not? And you invite that conversation. So even people who may not be super comfortable with, say, a communications role, they can say, yes, that those are our people or no, they aren't. Or that doesn't align with you know, our strategic plan or whatever it might be. Yeah. So I love and it that. Can be, it can be shocking, too. So watch out, you know, when, when your president is sitting in and they see, oh, it's only a 4% read rate. I had no idea. Um, it, it changes. It, it helps you direct and it's good. It's good information, good data. Yes, I agree. Sometimes it can be a little bit shocking as leadership when you are, you know, when something that you didn't know about suddenly shows up and you have insight into it in a way that you never did before. It's often what you perceive and then it's what the data actually shows. So once again, that's why one of the first things I do when I hop on a board is to set up some sort of platform or tool to track that data. Because if you're blindly posting things or just sending out emails, you don't actually know how effective it is. And many times people are shocked (laughs) at their results. So, but it's good when you get that data, then you can grow with it. So do you ever have resistance to shocking data or for the most part, has it been well-received? For the most part, it's well-received because numbers are hard to argue with, right? And that's where the word part comes in and the visual part. I need to be able to explain it and then also explain how we can take that and get better, grow, and move in a different direction. So 
Um, sometimes, sometimes there's pushback. There's the more traditional, you know, it used to be mostly emails and not so much focus on communication via social media. So you need to shift the focus. You got to move. It's constantly changing environment in a digital environment. It's always changing, especially with the pandemic. So you just got to be open to change. Um, but yeah, it happens. Some people can't be resistant. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for your time on this. This has been a wonderful, wonderful discussion. I love how clearly you explained all of the ways that we can use data in communications. And I do hope that people realize that this is not foreign to being in a communications role or in any of these roles. It's actually part and parcel with trying to do anything in a nonprofit effectively and efficiently. If people wanted to connect with you, learn more about you, follow up with you, what would be a good way for them to, to find you? I can be found on LinkedIn. Um, that is where I like to communicate the most. So you can find me there and don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions or want to talk data, want to talk communications, talk about it forever. Excellent. Yes. And I will share your LinkedIn profile uh, on our show notes. So again, you can see our show notes at heartsoldata.com. All the episode show notes are there and we'll share some of these resources like Hootsuite there as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to Heart, Soul, and Data. This podcast is brought to you by Moroccanos, an analytics education, consulting, and data services company devoted to helping nonprofits and social enterprises amplify their impacts and thrive through data. You can learn more at moroccanos.com, M-E-R-A-K-I-N-O-S.com.